Good evening, everybody. This is Rich Duncan with Ink Heist, and tonight I'm joined by my co-hosts Shane Douglas Keen and Laurel Hightower. And tonight we're excited to welcome Jennifer Susie, author of Demon and Me, The Night She Fell, and the recently released Clementine's Awakening, which is out now through Silver Shamrock. How are you doing, Jennifer? I'm great. How are you guys doing tonight? Pretty good. But um, yeah, we we usually have a kick off, and I refuse to answer it a second time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we we usually kick start the show by having our guests give kind of a new kid at school speech. So just a little bit about yourself um, and your you know writing journey thus far. Okay, cool. So um, I live just outside of Atlanta right now, but I was born and raised in Connecticut, and I moved away to Georgia when I was 19. And uh, I've pretty much lived here since then, and they call me a damn Yankee, but it's fine because I think they mean it with love. (laughs) 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 And um, I also lived in Las Vegas for like two years, and I worked on the Strip, which was an amazing experience. Um. I've been writing professionally since 2018, but I started writing when I was about 12. Uh, I've got two younger twin sisters. My parents live down here, and I have my boyfriend. We've been together for 20 years, and we have altogether 33 nieces and nephews and counting. Oh, Oh my God. (laughs) That's great, though, because you can go borrow children and then take those fuckers back when you're done with them. You don't have to. <laughs> that's, that's that's what we've done. Like people are like, don't don't you miss like not having kids? No, I have kids. They're just not mine, so it's perfect. But they're yours. I get I get the fun stuff. I'm the cool auntie. I send them back to their mothers, and it's great. <laughs> <laughs> then you get to just get up whenever you want in the morning and have some coffee and just you know. Do nothing that you don't want to do. That's nice. Right, right. I mean, and you, you can, like, go to the store, and you don't have to call five people for help. Like, can you just <laughs> for a minute, please? <laughs> so uh, you had that kind of journey kind of similar to, I mean, like, well, for me, it's a much, much longer one because I didn't have the balls to try to publish until I was 55 years old. But uh, that journey of um, – kind of knowing that you wanted to be a writer and awakening and kind of becoming one in earnest. You were um, like myself, like Laurel was for some time. I don't know how long, um, a long time service industry worker. Yes, uh, tw- 25 years I survived. <laughs> I, 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 I have a total of 15 or 20 of them. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Fortunately, my body got too broken from waiting tables to wait any more tables, so I don't have to do that anymore. Um, no, I hear you. Even my last couple years, uh, like my feet, my legs, and it just happened. I'm like, when the hell did I get old? Like, I, I used to be able to do this for 12 hours a day. <laughs> no, it's up on you, though. I mean, oh, it's, yeah. it's like just the never sitting down and the, oh, yeah, the constant yeah. running. And it was it was funny, like that. Like that initial scene with Clementine in her first night running food, I was just like slow mo screaming with her. I was like, right? Oh! But really, I was yeah. kind of annoyed at Florence because like you don't set someone on expo. 
before she how to run food. What are you thinking? Uh, my uh, w when I worked at the Olive Garden, that was my first shift out of training was Expo. They do that with everybody. Expo, yep. Expo, Expo. You learn that shit before you ever get to go to a table and describe it to somebody. Right, and that's you, that's one of those shifts that if you survive it, you're gonna yep. be okay. <laughs> <laughs> that just seems mean. Like I'm thinking of all the cooks who would be like, "This is a terrible idea. We really don't want someone to continually drop all of our stuff on their first." Time. Uh, that is uh, every single fucking cook behind the line is thinking that very thing. <laughs> oh no, it's the rookie again. Yeah. <laughs> The soup. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> or they they come back because I used to be the cook too, like for a short, yeah. short time. They come back and they'll be like, Oh my god, I totally gave the wrong plate to the wrong person and it's like, Oh, I'm gonna smack the shit out of you. <laughs> <laughs> that, that motherfucker's eating a five dollar T bone and you <laughs> get another one on the house. <laughs> So now I gotta recook two things. <laughs> my problem, my big issue is I suck at people. It's amazing I did it for so long because I always had a really, really return attitude. You know, so if you're smiling and laughing with me, I'm smiling and laughing with you. But if you're being a dick, I'm I'm the worst server you ever fucking had. <laughs> you know, I started out very fresh faced and innocent. You know, and. I just, all I wanted to do was help people and do my best. But, you know, by the end, I was like those old ladies I first started working with who mm -hmm. all they did was chain smoke and like hate life and talk <laughs> shit about people. And I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, I've become that woman. <laughs> yeah. No shit. My, well, yeah. my first day in that industry was with a customer that just was a total shit. He said, I forget what he said to me, but it was like I walked up to his table and said, you know what? I decided I'm not going to do that for you. You can fuck off and die. And I just walked out. <laughs> I was all done. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, though, that's what you have to. You just have to be like, okay, you're never going to be happy. I give up. You're done. Here's here's your money back. Here's your whatever. Just go. You're done. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I still have super fond memories of one of one of our managers at the at the little hole in the wall bar I worked in because like there was a woman and I realized too late that she was one of those ones that's like she's trying to get free food. So she kind of like stalked <laughs> in with this attitude and they or it was like a seafood night. They it was like a table of 12. They ordered all this stuff and she was waiting to pick a fight. And so she like made up something or whatever. And so she wants to talk to the manager and I called the manager Barry out and he's standing there and he's watching her while she goes on her diatribe. He's got his arms crossed and she finishes and he said, I know exactly what you're doing and I don't feel like fighting you. So I'm going to give you your food for free. You're going to tip my waitress and you're not going to come back here. And he turns around and goes back to the kitchen. And I was like, I feel so supported. Right. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a hero. That that's a hero. hero. And that's rare. Like every other manager I had, it's like, I'm so sorry. How much harder can I kiss your ass? You right. Know? And it's and, like, and, oh, oh, yeah. And then call they, on the carpet for it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they don't care what you go through. Like, I mean, like we were talking about this a little bit last night on Dead Headspace, but, um, you know, people are like, you know, is it really like so much harassment in the restaurants? And I'm like, absolutely. Because like stuff can happen to you. And depending on the place you work, which I find it's worse 
the bigger the corporation is, like usually for smaller places, the owners, they do what they want and they usually support you. Yep. But big corporations, they don't care, you know, because you're just a number. And if the guest isn't happy, that's the paramount thing. So they're just like, oh, so he flirted with you? Suck it up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to tell him to leave. You just got to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like, okay, so I'm going to write you up because that guest called you a piece of shit. <laughs> but the difference is the guest was a piece of shit boss <laughs> yep. they, they don't want that bad review and they want them to come back so and that's, that's when i would move to a different job <laughs> yeah and it's the ink heist podcast all about waiting tables and pissing people <laughs> It, I really felt like though when I was reading it, like that it was it was such yeah. a it was such a good way to to deliver that and to kind of bring Clem into it because you know a big part of the story, of course, is like her the way that her life changes and the way that uh, and and I was thinking about it and I was like, man, that's really on point because a restaurant is somewhere would where your fortunes could really change that quickly, you know, like Absolutely. learning to socialize, making those friends, all that kind of stuff. So I was like, yeah, that's that's really brilliant. I mean, that's great that you were able to use your experience to throw that in there, too. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it was just one of those things I always – this was the second book I actually wrote when I first started back writing again. And um, one of the things that always bothered me, you know, 25 years in the industry, was you don't see a lot of movies or books or anything like that really showing how it is, which I think is crazy because I'm like – so many people like it's one of the most popular industries to work in you know millions of people have worked in it why aren't more people talking about it so <laughs> I was like I'm tired of looking for it I'm just gonna write something about it and it, it is a great job but it's also a job that inspires a lot of horror like there are places to this day I haven't been in that building in 20 years I have nightmares occasionally about like that place and it's crazy because it sometimes stuff happens you get like the worst shifts and it does leave its mark on you whether you know it or not yeah yeah and especially too like uh you know not every customer or whatever you meet is that way but like a lot of times you know the few jobs that i've had is just like that sense of like entitlement that they have that they're like mm -hmm. oh yeah you're my server so you like basically work for me you're gonna do what i say right i would always tell people i'm your server i'm not your servant so yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah but no you do meet a lot of amazing people so between the money and the potential to meet awesome friends, like lifelong friends, you know, you can make there. Um, it is a great job. And it's great if you don't have a lot else going on in your background. Like maybe you didn't get to go to college. Maybe you didn't get to do, you know, certain trades or whatever that you were thinking of. But um, anyone can apply at a restaurant and, you know, and go from there. You know, it's a good job mm -hmm. to start out with. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you're you're right about the friends, too. And I think that was like, you know, I'm not going to say that I was exactly like Clementine, but it really was, I, I was somebody who for numerous reasons just wasn't very well socialized. I didn't, I didn't know how to meet people. You know, I wasn't very good at making friends, but that just sort of throws you in the deep end. It immerses you. And it's like, you know, when, when she was going out with, uh, with the other waitresses and the cooks at night, it's like, that's just, you know, that's how it is. Like you get thrown in, you go, I don't know. I, I just think it was really, really effective. And yeah, I, now that I think about it, that really isn't ever covered much unless it's just like a skimpily dressed 
waitress on an episode of CSI New York who gets murdered, you know? So Right. Like, I think the only thing I can think of, and it's an excellent movie, is that movie Waiting. But yeah. it, definitely, it definitely puts a more comedic spin on it. But, like, that's the only thing I could think that's even close to showing the reality of that kind of life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that movie. But, yeah, like Laurel was saying, too, I think, like, your experience in that and then kind of using that in the book, um, like, it really helped those characters you know, stand out and come to life for me. Like I definitely, I could relate to, cause I'm kind of similar in the way that Clementine was, but like it, I was able to relate to them a lot and they felt very lifelike because you were kind of able to use, you know, your experience. And then like you said, portraying that in a, um, you know, a more accurate light. Yeah. And I, I've always, I mean, Every book that I write, I get really bonded to my characters, you know, even the ones I probably shouldn't be because they're horrible, but, <laughs> but you know, you live with them for like a, a couple of months or whatever, and they come out of your head. So whether you like it or not, you know, you feel something for them. And, you know, I just try to really put that on the page because I don't know, it's just the things when I think about my favorite books, when I think about the stories that always moved me occasionally like yeah there's a really cool plot point that I'll never forget but it almost always comes down to what are the characters that touch me the most you know yes yeah mm -hmm. absolutely well that kind of leads me to I was going to ask you how you ended up coming up with the character of Clem and like specifically settling on her being you know as young as she was and just sort of because because in a way it's a little it's kind of a coming of age I mean not entirely because it doesn't necessarily cover you know, I guess the, the age range that people would think of that, but for her, you know, where she hasn't had a chance to do these things, it, it kind of had that feel to it. Oh, for sure. Um, well, one of the things I was thinking of, I'm like, you know, I, I am going to have part of this is going to be set in the restaurant. So what's the best way to introduce people who might not be familiar with this environment? And I'm like, well, you got to show as your main character, she's got to be like the biggest noob that there is, you know, so that way the, the audience can see the world through her eyes because she knows nothing. She's learning everything from, you know, the start, you know, it'd be different if it was a veteran server because th there would be no need for her to like think, oh, this happens because of this reason and whatever, because she'd already know it. Oh, well, mm -hmm. that's true. Yeah. Okay. And that's so did you with with kind of the rest of her character was that um, do you do you tend to come up with your characters first and then kind of find a, a setting to and a story to fit them or does a story come first? Sometimes it's the character first, but in this case, um, I think it was sort of in tandem, but I knew sitting down, I already knew I wanted a ghost story in a haunted restaurant. So that idea was there first because I, I had just been working in a haunted restaurant. <laughs> so so the, the subject was on my mind, you know, and um, so I knew I wanted to do something like that. And then Clementine followed like almost immediately after because I was like, you know, I need this this girl to be like starting there, learning the ropes and boom, she meets the ghost in the restaurant. You know, like, how is that going to work out? So we have yeah. we have to go back to the haunted restaurant though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's an old part of town that where I worked. And um 
Yeah. So the building was like a hundred years old and it's a, it was Mexican restaurant. So everyone called the ghost abuela. We don't know if she was actually Hispanic, the ghost, but you know, because they all were, that was the name they gave her. So, so when I started working there, I kept hearing everyone talk about it. I'm like, what are y'all talking about? There's no way there's a ghost here. But the longer I work there, you know, you start feeling things, you think you hear things. And when I started managing there for a while, you know, I'd be in the building alone by myself a lot, like in the wee hours of the morning or night. And, you know, again, you, you whether it was fatigue or whether there was something actually there, you know, you start sensing things. And she became kind of like my pal. So I'd be talking to her while I'm just hanging out, waiting for the boss to come lock up. And, um, but she, it, it was always like a positive feeling. Like I never felt scared. I never felt like she was a threat, but the thing is, that was pretty funny. There were people that did have like strange pranks, weird encounters. Like I had a, a bartender friend of mine, she was terrified to be in the building alone. And, uh, she would call me up all the time as she had to close. She'd be like, can you just come down here and sit with me? Like, I'm really freaking out. And like, there would be like, stuff would happen. Like uh, one time she was walking by the bar and a whole bottle of liquor exploded and like glass flew on her. And like, no one touched it. Like it just happened. And she was like, Oh my God, she's trying to kill me, Jen. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, well, I mean, it's like 11 o'clock. So can you just like apologize to her and wrap things up? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't feel like funny to have a drink. <laughs> that, that is a very restaurant response. Look, we got. Yeah. I'm sorry, we're still. The shift is not quite over. <laughs> right. I mean, can you just make that? Just tell her you're sorry. That's all you gotta do. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, that's that's hilarious and. You know, it's kind of interesting, like, kind of syncing that up with, like, the book that, um, you know, like, kind of, it kind of starts out, you know, with her meeting Rosemary, and it's, you know, kind of that same sort of vibe, you know, at least when she meets her. And I thought that that was a really cool aspect of it, because there's not too many stories where it's like that, where, you know, like, like the character and this spirit kind of, like, build up a friendship at first it's usually like with ghosts you know right out of the gate like some super heinous things right up front so it was kind of cool to see like a more playful take on that well yeah and i mean um even my sister she was one of my first beta readers and she was like jen she's seriously not scared because she just saw a ghost in the basement i'm like well it's a nice ghost so why would she be scared (laughs) and she's like you wouldn't be scared i'm like uh duh you know my life no (laughs) (laughs) now if i saw like a scary ghost or you know you get that vibe that like something dark is coming or whatever obviously i'd be smart enough to be scared but there's different like sensations you know whether it's real or not whether it's all in your head or not i don't know but you still feel things you know Mm-hmm. I, I've seen a lot of things that were weird in my life, but they scare me worse than most people because I don't believe in ghosts. So it's like, that can't fucking possibly be him. Who the fuck is that, really? <laughs> and it freaks me out. It's like, okay, explain this to me because I don't want to believe this. <laughs> you know, I didn't believe in ghosts either, but when I lived in Las Vegas, I also lived in a haunted house. And... <laughs> 
I didn't nice. believe in ghosts until I heard things running down the hallway and saw shadows moving and stuff. And I had to sleep with my eyes closed and my headphones on listening to music <laughs> because I could see stuff moving. And I'm like, I'm not opening my eyes. I will go insane if I open my eyes and I see something. <laughs> oh my gosh. So like, how, how did you come into this dwelling? Like, right. is there a history? Did someone, you know, really screw you over on a lease? <laughs> like, <no. laughs> it, it, it shouldn't have even been like that. My friend had just married this guy. His family was the only one who owned this house. The house no one else had lived in. It was like 10 years old at the time. So, and his grandmother had died in it, but she died in a hospital. Like, she didn't die in the house, you know? And it was just from sickness. It wasn't something, like, violent. But there was all this shit going on. So, of course, fast forward a couple weeks later, I was at my first job when I moved to Vegas, which I was working at a Target. And um, everyone was having, you know, freaking out outside and pointing at the cops that had lined up and these ex excavators and stuff. And they're like, you won't believe what they found. I'm like, what did, what did they find? They're like, they found a, a duffel bag full of body parts. And it, it turned out that it was like, you know, because at, at, back in the day, that plaza had only been desert. And, you know, we've all heard stories about mafia stuff, mm -hmm. like burying people in the desert. Well, apparently that's a thing. So that's the only thing I could think of was this brand new subdivision, this 10 year old home, nothing had happened there. I'm like, what if there's like mafia people buried under the house? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Skeletons in the swimming. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think it yeah. was an Indian burial ground, but I'm like, there's something, there is something out there. <laughs> <laughs> so you just you just sort of coexisted with them and then and then booked when you were able to absolutely we we were looking for an apartment we only did it for a few months and then we were like bye good luck everyone <laughs> I my grandma might have died in the hospital while she lived there but that ain't her running through that fucking place <laughs> <laughs> i mean like running like the whole the walls were rattling i'm like what the hell's going on <laughs> It's strange. I don't remember Granny being that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that would have been terrifying. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I've never really actually seen anything with my eyes, but it's just weird stuff it's, it, that doesn't have any other explanation. So who knows? <laughs> yeah, I'm always like, I I feel like I've you know like seen and experienced things, but I'm always hesitant to be like straight up. It was a ghost. I'll swear on my life. You know, I believe because I'm always like, I just feel like I'm going to die and someone's going to go, hi, Tower. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> there are no such thing as ghosts, you moron. <laughs> so I like to leave that door open for me to be like, well, I, I said I didn't know. Right. I said I didn't know. You can't punish me for this. <laughs> uh, that used to be my approach to God. Well, you know, I don't think so, but I don't know. You know, I'm not, certainly not going to piss him off. <laughs> I'm going to hedge my bets and just be nice to everyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to, and I feel like, and I'm sorry if you've already covered this, uh, but I was, I was going to kind of ask about Savannah. So you, did you ever live in Savannah? No, I never did. But um, it was, it's definitely one of my favorite cities ever. And uh, when I first I, when I first moved to Georgia 20 years ago, I was really disappointed in Atlanta because, 
you know, it was just like any old big city. There was no real character to it. You know, it's all just big, shiny buildings and filled with transplants like me. So I was meeting very few, like, legit Southern people. So I was like, God, well, like, where did we even come to? This isn't what I thought. And I had a friend at work, and she was like, you know, we're going to take a road trip to Savannah, and I'm going to show it to you, and you're going to see what the real South is. So I was like, okay, cool. And um, she made me read Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, which had just come out like a couple years earlier. And at first I didn't want to because I hate nonfiction. Well, I thought I hated nonfiction. Not that one, though, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And she's like, no, you're going to love it. You love horror. You're going to love it. So I was like, okay. So I read it. And, of course, it's an amazing book. I highly recommend mm. it to anyone. Um, and so, yeah, I read it. I was all prepared. We went there. We went sightseeing. And it was absolutely gorgeous. The people are like no people I've ever met. Like it is true Southern hospitality. I mean, you could just be walking down the square and someone will just come up to you and start talking to you and they become your friends and, you know, you go have a drink or they'll be like, oh, you want to see a haunted house? I'm going to show you one because my grandmother's cousin's, you know, stepdad <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> he used to work here. So he knows. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it, it is a perfect city for horror fans if you like history, if you know, because it's one of the only cities that survived um, intact after the Civil War. So um, I, the best I can liken it to is if you've ever been to Boston, you get that same sense, that same atmosphere, that same sense of history. As if you like, you, if you squint, you could almost see people in like period costumes kind of wandering around, you know. Yes. Yeah. And it's, I, I've been, I've been twice and I, I feel the same way about it. And I didn't, you know, I haven't spent like a whole lot of time there. Um, but it's one of those things that well, was one of the things I wanted to mention too, was like, just, that's why, like when I tweeted, you was like, you're making me miss Savannah so bad right now, because it's, because you, you're just really, really gifted with, with the setting descriptions and everything. It's like, I felt just immediately immersed, you know, and, and it's like, I could feel that heat and I could see all like the wrought iron and the, you know, down to river street and all that kind of stuff. And it's, you know, it's just one of those things that I've, it's like, it just makes me fall in love with Savannah all over again. And I, I kept, I thought I remembered that you had mentioned, you know, a while ago that you had not lived in Savannah, but I was like, surely she had to, I feel like she lived here for a minimum of 20 years, you know, <laughs> really, <laughs> really, really knows the town. <laughs> well, I thank you so much. But no, I mean, I, I wish I lived there. We joke, me and my boyfriend, that, like, we're going to retire there. Maybe one day we will. But um, it's just, it's such an amazing place. And I've only been like half a dozen times, but it really left a mark on me. You know, it just, I don't know, something about it just makes me so happy. And, you know, obviously the ghost tours, the food, the sightseeing, all that's great. One of the best things you can ever do is on St. Patrick's Day go down there for their St. Patrick's Day celebration. Mm-hmm. It is, it's like Mardi Gras times five. It's amazing. Really? It's so much fun. Yes. That and they put awesome. on, they put on this legendary parade and that was another thing. And they mention it too in the um, Midnight in the Garden of Evil, Good and Evil book. And it's really true. I saw when I was down there, cause they have all their military groups like doing the parades and you can run out and like, kiss the soldiers on the cheeks while they're walking by because a lot of them are really cute so you might want to but (laughs) but they have I I saw some guys dressed in confederate uniforms and you know like cosplaying or whatever and they had a yankee like in union blue and they were just kind of kicking it around and I'm like oh shit I probably should be careful (laughs) 
I, sh- I shouldn't mention where I'm from. <laughs> yeah, everybody's cheering those guys with those gray coats on. I better just be quiet. <laughs> I've been drinking since nine. This isn't a good time to get into that. <laughs> uh, yep, I'm a damn Yankee, but I'm a neutral one right now. <laughs> White flag! <laughs> Well, one of my favorite things, like if 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 they would get like annoying in the bar, just anywhere in the south, I just kind of look at them and go, "Well, we won the war, and yeah, that that rarely ended well." <laughs> <laughs> so I try to be good now. <laughs> it's so funny when you talk about you know like southerners like being so open and kind of just you know coming up and talking to you. I'm. I'm from Kentucky. I've grown up here. I've lived here most of my life. And like, and I feel like we're the South, you know, we're definitely like I lived in California. I'm like, this is not the South. You know, we're, we're definitely more Southern than this, mm-hmm. but I lived in Tennessee for a while. And I really had a hard time with the people who would just like come and bust up in your conversation. And I'm like, I'm sorry, oh, yeah. we're eating dinner. I, I know that she's wearing a Vols shirt. You're wearing a Vols shirt. So is everyone in the state except for me. So I don't feel like that's common enough ground for you guys to just, you know, bust in. <laughs> well, and, and on the one hand, it's so, like, it was such a culture shock, but I'm a pretty friendly person. So I, I appreciated, like, the friendliness and the openness of the Southerners I did meet. It did cross the line many times, though. I mean, because, like, you meet someone, and within a few minutes, you know more about them than you would ever want to know about anyone. Right. Dude, I about my brother yet what are you talking about <laughs> so this is your fourth divorce and what's your husband's name oh, okay. <laughs> trying to keep um, up <laughs> when people walk up to you and talk to you like that and generally you just don't fucking want to talk to these people <laughs> about keeping portland weird well there's we don't they have to try hard it's really fucking weird here (laughs) (laughs) well i mean i come from a place new england you know and we were talking about this last night too because you know the guys are from new england too people Mm -hmm. say that we're cold and it's like well we're not cold i think we're just reserved you know um everyone has the same thoughts, feelings, emotions, or whatever in New England. The problem is we just don't talk to anyone. We don't share it. It's like a very big thing that, you know, you keep your dirty laundry to yourself. You don't air it out, you know? Um, so, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's not that we're bad people. We just don't talk. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is, I mean, I, I like that opinion because I generally just don't talk to pretty much <laughs> but it's like it's cool like you don't like if if you go like hey and someone goes hey and they don't say anything else you don't take offense you're just like yeah no problem no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <It was> easy. <laughs> <laughs> or you just even nod sometimes you don't even have to speak yeah. that's the great thing about dudes greeting each other on the street uh. yeah <laughs> <laughs> Grunt. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I would. I also kind of want to visit, and again, I want to make sure that I don't do any spoilers on it. But I, I have to say, like, so the the Clem and Henry ship. I love this. I love it so much. Like to the point where I have to keep putting it down because I'm so afraid that <laughs> something's gonna happen. <laughs> you know, because I'm just like this poor yeah. girl. 
you know, and, it, but also I, I made a note of that too, because like, there were a lot of times where I was like, oh no, oh no, it's setting up for this thing. And then it's like, nope, there's off in a totally different direction. So also kudos on completely and utterly avoiding cliches at all steps. I was just like, I kept being like, wow, that's okay. I really thought we were stepping into that and it just went totally over here. <laughs> and that's I, I really too. try to do that. <laughs> and it's amazing when you're writing about a place like that, you know, too be able to step around cliche because the place is built on cliche, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. And I mean, and sometimes cliches are good. I mean, sometimes they exist for a reason, you know, because they're good and they work. Yeah. But um, I definitely try, like if I see myself doing it, I really try to resist on some things. And I try to, if I do use tropes, I try my best to use them in a different way. Like maybe flip it a little bit so it's it's not quite so yeah. obvious. Yeah, you do what Lowell does. You find a trope, you see how it works, and then you stomp all over that fucker and make it your own. <laughs> yeah. I have uh, seen some of the stuff you've um, done, like contemporary horror fantasy. You've done fantasy paranormal romance. Uh, this is arguably Southern Gothic. Um, and it's like you're hopping around those little subgenres but um you you don't dip into them and and follow somebody else's pattern you dip into them knowing what the pattern is and making your own damn pattern and um i always wonder is that an approach you take or not always wonder because i just met you but um is that <laughs> is that an approach that you take intentionally with your work switching around to those different you know what i mean yeah, uh, so, and sometimes I absolutely do actively, I, I do that. Uh, for instance, on um, The Night She Fell, which is like my horror slash con- uh, paranormal romance, mm-hmm. you know, because it has elements of that. I really love romance. You know, I've got a lot of friends who do write romance, but of course I like the paranormal. I'm not a huge fan of like the happily ever after, obviously, type thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so, so that's I why like people my, love you. <laughs> I like my monsters. I like I like it dark. So I, I like the paranormal romance usually. But, you know, you read so much of it. And that's um, there's some really good authors and there's some really good stories out there, you know, um, like on Kindle and stuff. But, of course, you know, like sometimes with the self-publishing, people don't necessarily put out the best work for that for that field. And then you so you read this book and you're like, God, this is such crap. But I love, like, the the theme, so I'm like, you know what? I'm just tired of, like, I don't know what I'm going to get, so I'm just going to write my own (laughs) and see how it goes. (laughs) Well, and that's great, too, is to, you know, look at the template, figure out how the template works, and then just throw it in the round file and and take your own path. Um, Absolutely. It makes it more enjoyable for you, and I think that makes it more enjoyable for your fans as well. I hope so. You know, I really, I, I really hope that the enthusiasm that I feel for each of my characters, um, even the bad ones. I mean, because who doesn't sometimes enjoy their villains? You know, even though you know you shouldn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I really hope that 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 you know is apparent in the story. You know, I, I, it would make me super happy. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's, I, I think that's um, kind of huge to me. Uh, the the villain thing. I love a good villain. I want. I want to remember your villain and love him as much as you know. I mean, 
like, you know, in the stand, for instance, you had all oh, yes. characters on the one side who you just massively loved, you know, Stu and Franny and all those people. And then on the other side, you've got the walking dude and the trash can man. And I mean, so many badass, memorable villains that are etched on my brain, even though I've only read it once. Well, because I think I think when it comes to horror, I think the villain, like, you know, we say that horror is um it's so good because it's it's such a cathartic genre, you know, like you can really vent, you can get out like your darkest stuff, reading and writing it. But I think it's really through the villain that that happens, you know, your hero or heroine, they're great and all. And, you know, you're usually seeing stuff through their eyes, but it's that person that really gets you like angry, that makes you hate them, you know, and they're doing horrible things. And maybe hopefully they get their comeuppance. I think that's where really where the catharsis comes in when when it comes to horror is the villain. Mm-hmm. And a great villain is someone you care about them actually eventually getting what's coming to them. Um, you don't even if you like them, you you want to, you know, like in once again a King reference in the Gunslinger, you want the villain to eventually suffer and pay for you know. Um, everything he does, but even though it's not clear necessarily who the villain is. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. And, yeah, but it's like, yeah, you want to like this villain as far as, oh, this is a great creepy motherfucker. He chills the hell out of me, but you eventually yeah. want to see him with a spike through his forehead, too. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, like um, the whole Sopranos thing, right? Like when they finish that exactly. show off, it was such a controversy because they're like, you know, we don't actually see what happens to Tony. And there's people who were like, oh, I want him to live. I hope he lived. And then it's like me. I'm like, I really hope he died. Really <laughs> like everything he did, I loved watching him, but he had it coming. So, it's, I, you know, I really hope he got it. Yeah. If someone hung you in a bathtub and just dissected you with a chainsaw, buddy. <laughs> That's like, um, I was watching a movie Shane had recommended and, you know, for me, kind of like what you guys were saying, like, that's how you know you have a good villain is like, you don't want to reach the end. You're just kind of like, eh, like, I think my comment about the movie that he had recommended is like, I was like, I'm so, I'm kind of mad that there wasn't like more of this person, like, you know, eating this guy's ass. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. Yeah. The outcome being, if you're disappointed that the villain didn't suffer enough, then the author did their job. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, really, the ultimate failure, in my opinion, is Randall Flagg getting such an easy out at the end of that fucking story. That, that, <laughs> I can't even. I tried to reread it again. I was the hugest Dark Tower fan. Like, I spent easily, what, like 20 years waiting for the stories to finish up. And then when what happened to Randall Flagg? I threw the book. I was like, I can't even believe this. This is like, he's. He's one of my favorite characters of all time. Yeah. You know, and just to see that happen, I was like, son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. No fucking way you just gave him an easy of an out. Are you kidding me? After all the years? (laughs) Right. Oh, 
It's like, and after everything that he's done to people, and I loved him in Eyes of the Dragon, too. Like, I'm always like, but Peter, or Thomas is still looking for him. Did he ever find him? <laughs> but, yeah. I know, and it's kind of like with the with the Dark Tower stuff. It's like, dude, I spent decades of my life waiting for this motherfucker to suffer. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I if Stephen King had come to Portland, I would have had to avoid him for three weeks until I got over it. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I love him, but at the same time, it's like I want answers. Damn it! Why did we have to? Why did you have to become a starring character? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I hear you guys there with King. Like, um, you know, I don't know if this is a popular opinion, but like when I read Under the Dome, like I really enjoyed like most of the novel most mm-hmm. of it and it's it's massive and i'm like okay where where's he going with this you know what is the end result gonna be and when i found out i was so pissed off that i read like <laughs> a thousand pages and i'm like are you fucking serious like that is the first stopper i got tricked with before <laughs> yeah. i'm done <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was terrible I, it felt like such a like a throwaway i was like wait a second there was nothing anyway. Yeah, no, I'm I'm on the same page with you as far as uh, end of the dawn goes. <laughs> we are all on the same page there, except for I only finished about twenty pages of it. So. <laughs> you were mm-hmm. smarter than the rest of us. <laughs> I found the end of that story a lot fucking quicker than most people. <laughs> you got out while the getting was good. <laughs> I'm, I'm 56 years old. I got shit, good shit to read. Thank you. Bye. Absolutely. And oh my God, like, I know we all like read a lot. I've, I finally started doing it is sometimes you have to, you know, put down a novel if yep. it's just not working because there's so many good things out there. Stuff I never even imagined that at this age that I'd be finding, reading and enjoying so much, you know? Oh yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah. Same. yeah. I even took a probably a five-year hiatus from horror pretty much entirely because I didn't think there was anything out there. Um, And then I discovered the indie community. And, of course, I was dead-ass wrong about that, you know. Oh, same thing. Like, I did did fantasy for probably, like, a solid decade. And um, once I found the indie horror community, I was, like, hitting myself. Like, damn it, how did I miss this for so many years? This is the best horror I've ever read in my whole life. Like coming home, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I keep stepping on everybody else's conversation. I guess we'll have to go looking at each other eventually. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's like all good, man. Um, but yeah, um, kind of going on the like indie horror thing, you know this. This uh, book came out with Silver Shamrock, and then you recently announced that you signed a six-book, three-year deal with them, um, which is awesome, and congratulations. And I was just kind of curious if you could kind of tell us how that came about, because it it seems like that kind of thing isn't really as common, you know, like with the indie scene, but I feel like, you know, it's pretty cool to see it kind of happen that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you so much, too, for that, because, like, I had no idea that that was coming. I was not prepared. It wasn't even in, on my radar. And um, it was Friday. Uh, Ken McKinley texted me, and he's like, 
so hey, why don't you tell me about what you're working on right now? So I was like, okay. So I just kind of told him, you know, what my current trunk novel was and like what else I was working on. And he's like, so that sounds awesome. Would you like this contract? And I was like, like jaw hitting the table. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Like, would I like this contract? Right. Are you see- I don't have to query anymore for a while. <laughs> Are you kidding? That's <laughs> kind of funny too. Is that like that version is a great version, the best version. Uh, but Ken's Ken's no version was good too, because it was basically kind of like, hey, I just inked a six book deal with Jennifer, and if you want to know how and why, read this fucking book. And- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Cliff Notes version, love it. <laughs> this one. I, I prefer the expansion on that story, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's really it's something I I was so happy, I was so grateful, so honored. You know, I only started writing again um, in 2018, and so it was like less than two years ago because it was the summertime. And um, I was turning 40, and I just was like, what have I done with my life? Oh, yeah, nothing. So <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what, what did I want to be? Like, once upon a time, I wanted to be something, and um, I really wanted to be a writer. I, I was writing since I was 12. Not anything good, but, I mean, I was still doing it. Yep. And, um, you know, I was like, you know what? I'm just – I'm about to turn 40. I should do something like drastic <laughs> and I'm going to start writing again. The hell with right. it and see what happens. <laughs> and that was a question I was leading up to earlier when we start. I don't know how what we got sidetracked on was that that was after, oh, we got into the service industry, right? Let's, now, don't talk about that because we'll get right. going. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was that you had. I mean, and the service industry does it a lot, but also, you know, when we're younger, we're kind of wanderers. Um, you had lived a lot of different places and come back to Georgia and I think left again. And then your second time you came back was when you went, fuck it, I'm going to attack this in earnest and try to be what I always wanted to be. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, I was very lucky, too. I have um, an incredibly supportive boyfriend and. He was like, you know, you're obviously unhappy. You've got to, you've got to change. You know, if you think this is what you need to try to do, then do it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you don't talked have, me into it. <laughs> don't have to ask me twice. I'm gone. Bye. <laughs> yeah. I'm, glad. I'm glad he's supportive. I'm glad you had the courage to make that decision. Um, and everybody who reads that book is going to be fucking ecstatic that you've made the decision. I'm uh, in Laurel's boat that I'm at the partway stage because I'm writing myself and I suck at reading when I'm writing. Um, But it's solid fucking gold. And Ken McKinley has a great eye. If he bought six books from you, they're going to be six really fucking good books. Um, And that's just a guarantee coming out of that house. So thank Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is there so i'm i'm curious how this is working like did you did you already have like six book ideas that you're gonna do or is, is there some that you had planned out and you've got just like total card launch what what are, what are you what do you got going on i gave him the synopsis for one and i've got several ideas for others but like i actually have one written that i had shopped for a little bit 
and then I gave up and I, 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 it's not that I gave up, but I, I just got so busy doing everything else. And I was like, you know what? I don't have time to push this right now. So I'm just going to let it sit for a minute anyway, but I've been wanting to go back to it. It's a really great story. So, um, so yeah, I'm glad it's got a home now, I hope. And, uh, but yeah, I've, I've got ideas all the time. Like my first three books I wrote in that, between that summer and the new years, like of 2018, I wrote Demon and Me, uh, Clementine's Awakening, and uh, my next book that's coming out in May, it's a YA novel that's coming out through uh, Red Askew. Yeah, I wrote those all, I don't even know how, they just like erupted out of me. And then I've written like maybe like three, four books since then too, so hopefully it should be good to like keep up this pace. I just gotta, you know, be diligent and get everything on the page. <laughs> well, when you say when you say that they just erupted out of you, are you does that? And if you guys covered this, I'm sorry, I took a few minute break. But um, does that mean you're a pantser or an outliner or? I am like a hybrid. So definitely, I pantsed the first couple of stories I wrote for sure. Um, like I, I maybe I, like I knew certain things that were going to happen. But for the most part, I just kind of went with the characters and wanted to see where they would take me. And I don't do a lot of outlining, but I, I have gotten a little bit better um, because certain stories are more complex than others. And especially now I've got a couple of stories that have sequels. So I'm not I, I don't like to get too locked into an outline, but I definitely am more mindful of writing down key information, like especially for the sequels, because I don't want there to be any sort of like completely fixable continuity error that, you know, I just missed, you know, mm -hmm. so. And you can't always depend on an editor not to miss that because they do sometimes. Oh yeah. I mean, any editor, yeah. you know, it's so funny because like you could, we joke about this all the time because I edit as well part-time for Red Askew, but like you can go over a story between you and the author, like a dozen times a piece. And guaranteed when it comes out to publish, there's still going to be, like, a typo. Like, it's just going to happen. <laughs> like, how could you read over the same thing so many times and it, then you read it in, in a different format and it's plain as day? <laughs> well, and that actually is a large part of why I have never once read something of mine once it's kind of different. <laughs> I look at those books and I'm like, that's lovely. And I place it on the shelf closed and never open it again. Because <laughs> you're going to find, and it'll be something <laughs> stupid it won't be like a big thing but it'll be something you notice because it's your baby like you know everything mm -hmm. about it until you see that one little mole that you missed you know a hundred times before is <laughs> <laughs> that a freckle <laughs> what am i helen keller over here what's going on <laughs> it was supposed to be a freckle but i spelled it freckle and now it's freckle <laughs> <laughs> I just like I know I would see something when one of my friends uh, is a poet and she has this lovely you know thing that she does when she gets her author's copy she sits down with a glass of wine and slowly reads over it and I'm just like nope <laughs> I'm not gonna do it <laughs> yeah no I I did that with my first book and um I was like okay cool wait why is that comma there what is going on? 
Oh my God. If, if people find that comma, they're going to like hate my book and they're going to throw it in the fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, and that's not – it takes a lot more to piss a reader off, even if they're reading big fives, <laughs> just a comma. But I, I feel that. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I think, you know, I'll always be that guy who reads it over and reads it over and reads it over and then hands it to Hightower, and she says, dude, this really fucking sucks. You need to fix this. Like, I have never in my life said that. I know, but I, you know what I mean. It's like I have said shove the adverbs. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Knock it off with the fucking adverbs, you fucking Irishman. Shit. <laughs> yeah, adverbs are tough. They're they are very addictive. It's hard. Like uh, it's like oh, plays, all right? You can't have just one. Exactly. That's what Laurel one time pointed out a bunch of different things in a poem I wrote and had her proofread for me and every single one of them was don't you think you have more than enough of these in here and i think it was sem- i think that was similes oh you had one paragraph with five similes right they were all great i mean they were the best similes i'd ever read but five is too many yeah. she's like you made your point with the first one <laughs> it's like cool education happening <laughs> And that is why good beta readers are so important. Absolutely. Because we don't know. Like, we we write this stuff and we're like, oh, this is so awesome. This is just what I want to say. And then you get that really good beta reader and they're like, you could do a little bit better, don't you think? (laughs) I forget forget who actually gave us the advice. It might have been Chris Golden or it could have been Tim Wagner said, um, find beta readers who make you look like you suck. Find good beta readers who that, know what they're yeah. talking about. And yeah, that's what it's it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard to have someone say, Yeah, dude, this just really doesn't fucking work. It looks like something a seventh grader would do, you know. But it's also useful. Um, right. I mean that's the only uh feedback worth having in my opinion. Yeah. You know, it's all nice and well for someone to be like, Oh, like my mom, like, you're the best writer I know. Thanks, Mom. You haven't read anything since the Thornbirds when it came out, but that's okay. <laughs> my mom would do that too and never read my shit, but say, My son is Stephen King, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> my my aunt very kindly wrote a review for Whispers in the Dark, and it just said, "You want to read this book?" And I was like, "I mean, okay, thank you. That's kind. Like, I can tell you utterly didn't read it. <laughs> 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 Thanks for the five stars." Yeah, no, my mom actually has. She's only read like the synopsis. When I tell her, because she'll ask me, "What's your book about?" and I tell her, and she just looks at me and she kind of shakes her head. She's like, why can't you just write nice things? (laughs) (laughs) Tell me your next one for Ken is going to be a Christian romance. You're right on that. (laughs) Oh, my God. Writing prompt. (laughs) Do Satanists fall in love in a Catholic church? Oh, wait, that's not a Christian romance, is it? (laughs) You have forbidden Amish love, but then said it cosmic. (laughs) No. You mentioned that. I honestly forgot what the novella's title was, 
uh, I read a, a novella by Jonathan Jans, and it was amazing. It was really good. But um, it actually, like, the cover and the synopsis kind of leads you to believe it's uh, an Amish romance type thing. Yeah. <laughs> he, he actually wrote in the afterword, which is probably the best afterword I ever read in any book ever. He was like, so I've got an e- inbox full of hate mail from Amish romance fans <laughs> who read my book. And they said, Ruined for life. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking James. I love that guy so much. <laughs> like, I, I was laughing, like, to tears just reading that. I was like, this is, like, the most awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like yeah. I need to find my target audience to make hate me. I wonder who I can do that with. That's just a great uh, idea. I want something like that. You know, I can I can name a bunch of fucking people who hate you, Hightower, so... Oh, good. Okay. Well, I'm yeah. set then. <laughs> God, sorry. Heavy sighs. Um, laughing makes me high. <laughs> and I'm not sure, but... Nah. It's all that extra oxygen. It's why when you go to the casinos, you can buy oxygen because it makes you high. And then when you're high, you waste money on their tables. And yeah, yeah, and it takes less booze to get you drunk, which causes you to spend more money. Exactly. It, it, it troubles <laughs> me that there's an entire science dedicated to less oxygen yeah. as ramped up as possible. <laughs> yeah. Sitting at that bar with two rolls a quarter and a bartender overpouring drinks for you all fucking night long without ever skipping you a tab. <laughs> and no windows. No no clocks, no nothing. Yeah. Even though you drink like $300 worth of booze, they make way more money off of you than you actually saved on your alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Even more than that. Like, okay, So when I worked in Las Vegas, I worked at an Irish pub. And they had an awesome whiskey selection. It was probably the best I've ever seen in my life. We had shots that would go for two to five thousand dollars an ounce. Oh my god! Oh my god. <laughs> an ounce because there would be business people, so they have the corporate credit card, which is yeah. why you shouldn't trust America. <laughs> oh, this is, mm-hmm. yeah. This is yeah. what you're doing with your shareholder money, but yeah, but. Yeah, that they buy stuff like that. They're the only ones who buy stuff like that. Yeah. It's just mind-boggling. <laughs> See, that was um, the um, Salem, Oregon, the capital here was. There were bars there that were that way that you could get a six hundred dollars shot of whiskey, um, just because there were politicians that came into town with fucking budgets that would buy a six hundred dollars shot of whiskey. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, Meanwhile, you're drinking Johnny Walker Red, and it's ten times better than their $600 shot. (laughs) I could never bring myself to pay that much for an alcohol, but I do think if someone was like, would you like to sample this $5,000 shot? I'd be like, I'm on it. I would not turn that down. Dude, the best night I ever had had drinking scotch is when a bartender or a assistant manager in a bar who was a good friend of mine decided he was going to quit the next day. So he started pouring shots of the $40 and above a shot booze, you know, top shelf stuff. (laughs) (laughs) We probably drank like $800 worth of liquor a piece. (laughs) And then he quit. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's the way to do it. If you're going to go out, you got to go out with a slash. <laughs> In this case, it was more of a slosh, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Going out with a slosh. <laughs> Well, so I was going to ask you what you're working on next, but you have this giant, fabulous vista of six, you know, six slots that you get, that you get to fill. So that's, that is fantastic. Um, yes. And I'm really excited about the first one that I'll be sending them soon. Um, Cause I'm just brushing it up. I can't really talk about it yet. Cause I'm still like in that phase where things could change, you know, cause I'm finalizing it, but um, it's really exciting. I, I, I think, I hope that they'll like it. But I do have um, the YA novel, which is kind of like a dark fantasy horror coming out in May. And that one's really cool. It's the first one I wrote. And I kind of was inspired by my sister, who she's the one with the kids in our family. And we're a horror-loving family. So she used to tell the kids um, scary stories before bed. Like, she'd make up her own. So she told them all that they had twins that didn't make it. (laughs) (laughs) and that they all had green eyes like her and um you know that that the green-eyed girl would be like in the closet or at the window waiting to get in to steal their life and take their place (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i seem to have dead children um haunting my life lately But it's such a great story. And the kids, you know, when they were little, yeah, they didn't like it. But now they love it. You know, they're all older. And they're, they make jokes about it. Like, that's their boogeyman that they survived. Right. So I was like, I was like I'm going to make my own green-eyed girl story. So, oh. But I'm really looking forward to that one getting out because it was super fun to write. And and it, it spooked me writing it because um I got into this yeah. really trying it out. So I was I was trying to visualize like the scary scenes as I was writing it. And um, I had to sleep with the light on that night. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that is a hell of an endorsement. Absolutely. Yeah. The best thing a horror writer can tell you is I scared myself. Right. So I hope it works out well for everyone when it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you say that, like with no ownership, but you're like, well, I hope everything goes okay, everybody. I'm out. Like, here's the story. <laughs> I'll light a candle for you. (laughs) (laughs) Have you got bourbon tonight? In your in your glass, are you drinking bourbon? Oh, I have Jameson. I was gonna say Irish. Laura wasn't paying attention when we started (laughs) this shit. The alcoholics knew exactly what she was drinking. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel funny saying it's like the drink I grew up with, but you know, Jameson, Jameson's a particular in our, in our family, like at parties and stuff. So uh-huh. um, just a brand, you know, it's like a comfort brand, you yeah. know, that you go to from time to time. I grew up on it, too, and I, I mean pretty much literally because I grew up in an Irish family, and they, my uncles would take me fishing and give me coffee, which I wasn't supposed to have, so they <laughs> put bourbon in it, too, and it was always Irish whiskey that they put in it, you know, not bourbon. Oh, 
<laughs> so it's like, yeah, I literally grew up on that shit. <laughs> yeah, we were we were definitely we had Irish, um, Native American, Polish. I mean, there's a whole wonderful blend of things uh, that make up our big family. So we're very lucky to have all that too. Absolutely. You know, you know the more culture, the more heritage. And it's a beautiful thing to, you know, know where the people mm. made you came from. Yeah. I have this uh, Ancestry.com DNA test sitting here that my wife bought me, and I'm afraid to actually use it because I'm worried that I won't be black at all. <laughs> it's really disappoint me. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'll on. tell you, me and my sisters, we did one because, you know, we were just curious. We're like, what is all the fuss about? Uh, and we, for the most part, we got everything that we knew we were going to get, except on mine and not theirs. Uh, it was like 1% Jewish and 3% West Asian, like Turkish or something. And I'm like, well, where the hell did that come from? <laughs> like, <laughs> we've got like the ancestry family tree and stuff. I'm like, somebody's lying somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who is sleeping around with who, but something sketchy is going on. That's the big thing. It's like, why do you have it? No one else does. Well, they they say that even among siblings, different things will pop up on those tests. So that's why it's yeah. important to get everyone tested because you never know what's going to show up more so percentage-wise in one sibling to another. So it can be kind of cool. You can actually learn more if you all do it. And, you know, my family is all divorced as hell, so nothing's going to – it's not going to cause any scandals with us. No one's going right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, so to even... parents don't even know each other anymore. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, I mean, and the funny thing – like, I know, like, with, with our family at least, we all look so much alike that even if stuff that do, – it does pop up, we know it doesn't really matter that much because there's no way that we can deny that we are related somehow. <laughs> that's, that's like me and my dad. We look like twins, except for he's a shot, a snapshot of me when I'm fucking 85. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I can't deny. Nah, he's not my dad. I don't know that fucker. <laughs> we just sort of all pass through like the the matriarchal line like if you go through like the generations it's like there was never a dude involved and <laughs> and like my son is the same way like he's just like my little spitting image and i'm like well all right it's just the two of us <laughs> <laughs> so i you know i really 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 appreciate your wifely devotion <laughs> oh, and, and him <laughs> Uh, I love my donor. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> see, and, and use that initial D in so many different ways now, Laurel. <laughs> How's the D doing? <laughs> Don't worry, he'll never listen. So. Oh. <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking like this. I, I, I don't want to get beat up. So <laughs> uh, when, all right, when COVID ends and cons are back on, I gotta see if there's one in like Savannah because, yeah. uh, like, we need to meet up in Savannah and then go 
and then go drinking and maybe we'll actually show up at the con if we sober up in time. But Absolutely. Most- yeah. Um, yeah, we we all need to show up for that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was so disappointed, you know, because I, I really only had heard about, like, book cons. Like, I knew about, like, Comic-Con and stuff, of course. Yeah. But I didn't really know about a lot of the book things until I started writing my first book and released it. And I was like, oh, this is going to be so awesome. I can go sell my book and, like, talk to people and go meet my Twitter friends. And COVID hit, like, because I released my book in March. So, (laughs) yep. (laughs) COVID hit, and I was just like, well, God damn it. Like, there goes all my plans for 2020. (laughs) (laughs) So, but I yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, I really, that's one of my things. I really want to go to cons. I really want to start doing that when and if, you yeah. know, it's able to be done. Yeah. I've never been to one except for I went to a bar con one time here in Portland. But, yeah, I'd really, really, really love to do that. You know, mm-hmm. because, it's like, yeah, we all, it's like I love all of you fucking people. But I'd sure like to stand in the same room with a fucking glass of whiskey and talk to you, too. <laughs> yeah. You know, and everyone could bring like a few signed copies of their book and we could like trade them like Valentine's mm-hmm. cards. <laughs> God. Oh my God, I love that. I'm going to yeah. cry. That sounds so fucking amazing. <laughs> I've been saving this for you. Oh. <laughs> uh, don't don't tell a drunk Irishman shit like that. You will make him crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I hope things get back to normal for all of us. You know, I fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, I don't think we'll ever be the same version of normal we were before. I mean, although normal is really a, a definitionless word, but it's such a loaded word. Yeah, it really is. But, uh, yeah, I think that I was one small little observation I made the other day, and then I'm going to have to try to wrap us here, um, was I was riding the bus down to get liquor the other day. Um, Not that I drink a lot, just every day. (laughs) But I noticed every single business along the way has built permanent semi-enclosed heated outdoor decks i mean not not temporary stuff this is all permanent shit you know so it's kind of like yeah they're they're doing this because they know what the business model looks like and if you don't have a place place for people to distance they're not going to want to go there even after this is over Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think we'll all be looking to keep our distance just you know because now it's getting to be a habit God, I still want somebody else to serve me a fucking drink, though. (laughs) I just want to have a reason not to wear my pajamas, you know, on a regular basis. (laughs) I'm probably going to have to buy some new things that are not pajamas at this point. (laughs) (laughs) The office is open. Oh, fuck. Is the mall open, too? um... (laughs) You you cannot actually go to the bar in your underwear, dear. You have to put clothes on. (laughs) No, but I mean, can I wear my sweatpants? Right. Fine, but we do it in the south all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We do. It's true. Yeah. We do. 
sweatpants and fuzzy slippers. I see it everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Bought at Walmart this morning. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I'm I'm uh I am not averse to walking into a bar with my slippers on. Deer deer foams when you're getting drunk or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean just some of the bars I've been in, it's not that I would worry about being seen in my slippers. I love my slippers. I don't want them stepping in something. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. I and I'd never be able to get out. <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing worse than going to lift your foot and hearing the bottom of your slipper peel off of something. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I gotta replace them now. <laughs> right. Or you step in some puddle and it's like God, what was that? Oh, should yeah. I just set these on fire now? I don't know. <laughs> oh, shit, it's soaking into my sock. Oh. <laughs> I'm done for. <laughs> you guys thought COVID was bad. Whatever this shit was, it's going to kill me ugly. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note... Um, um, do you have tell us any big news that you still have left you want us want people to know about anything at all that you want to talk about that we have not touched? Well, we covered the new contract, and of course, Clementine, uh, the mother we share is my YA slash NA because it's book one of of a series that'll be out in May, the first book. I've got the sequel to The Night She Fell, which is going to be called She Who Destroys. That'll be out uh, in September. So if you like witches and Satanists and haves versus have-nots in modern-day Connecticut and New York City, definitely check that one out. And um, Oh, and I've got a short story coming out to be announced with Kendi Press this year. Oh, right on. There's four, yeah. And, um, well, damn, I think that's it for 2020. <laughs> <laughs> now and more to come but um but yeah that's really it and uh i have a really nice website at uh jenniferlsusie.com yes, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty active on twitter and uh instagram i have a facebook but i really only kind of use i don't use that much except for um fa- friends and family because i don't know it's like totally different now uh, all social media is different now but i i find myself more comfortable on the twitter and instagram so but yeah, and I love talking about horror and being a total nerd, so look for more blogs and other weird stuff and check it out. <laughs> certainly. Well, we have a weird blog too anytime you want to visit. So, um, um, uh, but yeah, Twitter, we're all there on Twitter, and you will be hearing more and more and more from us. And every time you put out a book, you're going to get annoyed because one of us is going to say, hey, fucker, you want to come talk to us again? And <laughs> pretty largely, we will not take no for an answer. We'll, be, we'll knock on your door some morning with our microphones. So. <laughs> but that's okay. I would, ha- I would have it no other way. Good. Like, you do not understand my people. We are like this. <laughs> like, boundaries? What do you mean, boundaries? <laughs> Uh, I know it's 4 a.m., but it's when our when we got here, so we needed some place to go. <laughs> <laughs> There's always extra sheets and pillows. Yeah. <laughs> no uh, in this apartment, though, so. Three drunk podcasters on your doorstep at 3 a.m. 
to a sleeping bag. <laughs> it would not even be close to the weirdest things that have been on my doorstep at 3 and 4 a.m. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> and uh, I have loved this. Um, love you. Uh, Laurel, Rich, you guys have anything else left before we bail? No, just wanted to, uh, I'm so glad we got a chance to talk and to sort of like meet, you know, across the country. And I'm yeah. absolutely going to snag you and buy you drinks when we're, when we're in the same city. Yes. Oh, I love talking to you guys too. I love following you all on Twitter and I've listened to your podcast before. So it is definitely a complete treat and thrill for me to be here. And I would love to come back again. So awesome. Awesome. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's what I was uh, gonna. That's all I was gonna say is we'd love to have you back on the show. Mm -hmm. And we will. Um, yes. <laughs> as soon as possible, the sooner the better. Um, we will victimize you with this mayhem again. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so very very much, Jennifer. Um, everybody. Read her books, Jennifer Susie. Um, also, uh, visit her website, which I believe is jenniferlsusie.com. And I know she said it, but I don't remember anything beyond two minutes. Ago. <laughs> um, <You're> totally right. <laughs> um, and uh, stay tuned for the for the next. Well, fuck it. Never mind. Bye. <laughs> I stuck on my tongue. <laughs> Bye, guys. Have a good night. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, guys. <laughs> Is somebody going to hang the fucking thing? <laughs> Die!